If you would, turn the Bible to Job chapter one. This is our fourth, fourth sermon from the book of Job, part four, if you will. And we're gonna finish out chapter one today. Uh, we said it a lot at the beginning. I, I assure you, Job's not gonna take this long. There are 42 chapters. If we do four sermons per chapter, that's 168. That's about three something years, all right? We're not gonna do that with Job, all right? But this chapter one was so foundational that we needed to. Job chapter one, we'll start in verse 13. In our home, we're doing a bracket challenge for March Madness. I was up last night till one in the morning watching Texas lose in one of the best upsets of the first round. Abilene Christian beat them, it was awesome, I loved it. But North Carolina lost bad first round, blown out. And so I'm not that into it anymore. I know that's so shallow and fickle, but that's the truth, isn't it? But it's a good reminder that I should have never been that into it, right? Not if I'm so into it that I've lost my focus in what really matters. I've been thinking about that a lot lately because it sure has been a hard year, and even for us, a pretty hard couple weeks. I think the bigger challenge, pretty easy to say that, okay, they lost, and I'm not that into it now. I think the bigger challenge is if they won or if your team wins and they go on a run and next thing you know, you're all into it. The bigger challenge is losing sight of what really matters in life. This is a cruel world. There's hardship all around us. There are people here today who hardly made it here today. And there are people who couldn't even make it today because of all that they're dealing with. And I just feel in my soul shame on me if I've lost sight of those real things in life, like God and truth and mercy and grace and hardship and struggle. And I'm thankful that we're in the book of Job because that is absolutely what is going on here. And Job's been pretty interesting, these first 12 verses, but we finally get to the part that everybody knows about. The patience of Job, the perseverance of Job, the struggling of Job all comes into play today. If you're here today and you are currently suffering, then you are going to like the passage today because you're gonna identify with it. Remember I said in week one that Job is as good of a character as any character there is in all the Bible for us connecting with. One commentator said that Job is more relatable than even Jesus. For whether you're in the academic hall or you're in the beer hall, everybody admires Job. Job's life fell apart. Job's goodness or what we tend to think is his goodness, was stripped from him. Job experienced tragedy and brokenness and heartbreak and hardship to exponential levels. And you and I must be able to connect with him. I hope that many of you all will automatically, but we must have a place for this type of thing, this that God is doing, this that Satan is doing, this that we must navigate through. We must have a place for this 
inside of God and truth and the lordship of Jesus Christ and the salvation and redemption that comes through the overarching sovereign plan of God. That heaven is a real place. And all that God is doing outside of heaven is preparing a people that will be fit for heaven and will worship him forever in glory with the happiest they've ever been. That is what God is doing. And all the things that we don't understand, like Job, we do understand that. Every single thing happening to us right now is to work in us a love for God so that we will love him forever and be happy doing that. Job brings us to devastation and questioning and doubt and grief and mourning and sadness. Read with me, if you will, at Job chapter one, verses 13 through 22. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Wow. Job is so well written. It's a wonderful story from a perspective of literature. Verse one of chapter one says, there was a man. Verse six of chapter one says, now there was a day. Verse 13 of chapter one says, now there was a day. It's just drawing us in, isn't it? It's well written. We're captivated by this story and these scenes. It's also well written because there's so much, so much poetry here. It's hard to pick up on it. In those four tragedies, right back to back, bam, 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 bam. Remember last time I talked about the threes company thing and suffering that my mom always says that bad things happen in threes? Well, in Job's day, they happened in fours. Four bad things happened to him. But if you study that closely, you will see that there's some uh, rhyme and reason to the way that that was written. It's just written really well. They are very similar, each of the four. 
know, sometimes when you preach, you wanna be really engaging and liked and tell a lot of stories. A couple weeks ago, I was asking my kids, what, what'd y'all like about the sermon? They said, man, we really like it when you tell stories. When you're not telling stories, we don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> There's a temptation to just tell stories and try our best to make people like it and laugh. This passage isn't one of those. This is a passage that we really need to just look at for a good 30 minutes and allow the truth of God's word to do something to us. Guys, people are hurting in the world today. It's been a hard year. Seems like we're coming out of it. It's been a lot of suffering. I wasn't able to do it. I got a, fun I got a call to do a funeral on Saturday. I wasn't able to do it. Of a couple whose four month old died. That would have been hard, wouldn't it? I did do a funeral last Sunday night for a family whose 31-year-old died unexpectedly in his sleep. It's been a hard year, and there are people suffering. And this Job chapter one brings us to deal with that but not just through our life experience where we kind of figure out, well, you know, was there some reason why this was happening? But it's Job chapter one, in light of the divine counsel of the angels before God and Satan comes, God's in charge of what is happening here. That's plain as day. If you haven't been here in the past weeks, I want to encourage you to please go back and watch those so you're keeping up. If you don't understand what's going on right now, that God suggested Job to Satan. This was not Satan's idea. This is God's idea. And all that we just read is God's idea and he allowed Satan to do it. God didn't do the bad thing. He let Satan do the bad thing and he, re he recommended Job to Satan to do all this bad thing. You've got to know all of that. That's not what we're preaching today, but that's what's been before in the chapter. Understanding all of that, it's now like, how do I make sense of this? You know, if you want to be an atheist and say there is no God, then you just roll through life's experiences like this. There's no rhyme or reason. I don't have to try to figure it out. Life stinks. Make the most of it. Don't worry. Be happy. Hope it works out okay. That's all the atheist can say. Man, life stinks, right? And some days it goes well and some days it doesn't. That's the roller coaster of what it is. But we don't have to try to understand it. Oh, but when you believe in your creator God that knows you and loves you, and sovereignly places every single bit of dust and pumps every heartbeat and causes every single hair to fall from your head when you believe in a sovereign God who loves you and made you and takes care of you and this type of stuff happens, we find ourselves going, what is happening? Why? And I've been trying to tell us every single week, we don't really wanna ask why, we want to ask what. We don't wanna question God like he has bad plans. We want to say, what are you doing, God, so that we would understand that? But regardless, if you believe in God, you know that this causes you to go, what is going on in our lives? Why are we suffering so much? 
Job is described in chapter one as a blameless and upright man, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Verse three says that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Every single notion that you have, that if you're a good person, karma will mean good things for you, is blah, according to the book of Job. That is not true. You, you, and you do not deserve for God to bring goodness into your life. And if you say it, you're wrong and you don't understand his word. And when the hardship comes and suffering, if you want to say, I don't deserve this, you're wrong about that too. And it'll be awkward in your house and in your living room. And it'll be ultra awkward in your hospital room when we pastors show up there. But we're not gonna affirm you in that you don't deserve this. But we will affirm you that the biggest God, the true God, has you right where he wants you. And there is no better place to be than in his hand. We will affirm to you that though the devil is trying, he cannot. We will affirm you in that. We will affirm you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we will affirm to you that nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. We will. But we will not affirm to you that you don't deserve it or that you've been good enough to not deserve it because that's just not the case. Every one of us are broken and needy before God. And the book of Job teaches us this. Commentator Thomas says, this scene that we just read is in direct contrast to what has gone before it. Tranquility is broken by a storm. Peace is shattered by pain. It provides for us a devastating picture of how trouble comes into Christian lives. It comes unannounced. It comes unsolicited. It shows no respect for persons. And behind it lies the activity of Satan. But you and I also know that behind the activity of Satan lies the all-powerful God. This is where we find ourselves as we seek to understand. Two points today in the book of Job, chapter one, verses 13 to 22. Number one, he worshiped while suffering. Oh, that this would be a real category for your faith. He worshiped while suffering. Number two, he worshiped from a foundation. He worshiped from a foundation. What a truth we have here that Job worships while suffering. He does not worship God if things are good. He does not worship God when God blesses him. He does not worship God simply because he is experiencing the goodness of God. He worships God while, at the same time, in the midst of, during this suffering. He doesn't say, well, once I get it all figured out and get my life together, I'll be back worshiping. He doesn't say, well, once I can get myself together, I'll get back focused on God. He doesn't. In what is a horrible, horrible day, he worships. Here we have severe and deep suffering. That's why I began the sermon with trying to get us to feel that suffering is real and common in our lives. Because Job is, 
We can't read this without feeling what he's going through. And although we can't totally feel that because I have not been through anything like this, we gotta try to understand what he's dealing with. He had four tragedies happen in the same day. The first one, let's walk through them. The first one is these Sabaeans, a group of people actually out of Sheba. They come and attack. It's a raid. It says they fell upon them and they took them and they struck them down and they got the oxen, the donkeys, and the servants. Well, if you look back to chapter one, verse three, look at this, right? This wasn't one of these little small farms like we have around here in Fairdale with a few cattle. This is these size farms you see on the drive to Lexington. Verse three says there are 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys. That's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot to slaughter. That's a lot to capture. That's a lot to take. I don't know if they had a trailer that pulled them away. I don't know if they had a lasso, but I know they came and got them. Remember I told you in the first one that this is how we know Job's wealth. Job was a very, very wealthy man and way, way, way back in the day, your wealth wasn't measured by how much money you had, it's measured by how much stuff you had. That may be true even today. But we know that Job was very wealthy and part of it is these oxen and donkeys and the servants that took care of them, but the Sabaeans come and attack and take them. That's the first tragedy. The second tragedy you can see is fire from God, which I think very simply is referring to lightning, strong lightning. Fire from heaven, fire from God falls from heaven and burns up the sheep and the servants. Verse two says 7,000 sheep, it says in verse two. Now, I know we've seen lightning before and you maybe have seen a tree get hit by lightning and you think, wow, that's crazy, that's strong, that's fire, but I just cannot picture 7,000 sheep dying from lightning. This was truly a horrific and tragic thing. The third one was the Chaldeans. I told you this was well-written. You can kind of see some rhythm here. The Chaldeans come in three different groups and they raid the, the camels, right? The camels. Verse three of chapter one tells us there were 3,000 camels. They get the camels and the servants and they kill them all by the edge of the sword. What an attack. Then the fourth tragedy that happens is a great wind, which would just refer to a strong tornado. And this one is the worst. I told you this is well written. You can see it builds up. All three, all three tragedies are written the same, but the fourth one is the climax, the peak. It's not just his stuff, it's now his people. Chapter one tells us that Job had 10 kids. That's a lot. Seven sons and three daughters. 10 kids. And on that very day, when the oxen, the donkeys, the sheep, the camels were all overtaken or killed, the last was the worst. A tornado came. A tornado comes and kills his children. The report says it fell upon the young people and they are dead. Wow. Couple obvious observations. Number one, it is horrible. 
but our children can die. It is horrible, tragic, and heartbreaking, but our children can die. We have people in here right now who have lost children, buried children, and it is horrible. And you never get over it. And God, being the father that he is, helps us with the story of Job by giving us an example of one who has also suffered like that. When you're suffering, one of the things the devil is gonna want to do to you is to isolate you and think you're the only one suffering. And you're the only one suffering in this way. And nobody knows that I'm suffering. And nobody understands my suffering. And nobody can connect with this type of suffering. If we will read God's word, we will see God teaching us so many times. He knows about suffering. He knows about suffering. Many times at funerals, when I've seen moms bury their children, I've reminded them that Jesus' mom, Mary, saw her son buried. She watched him be crucified. And that was just not an example, for, that was not just an example for us. That was an example for us, but that was so much more. That was the love of God being the answer to every bit of our suffering. Because while he did suffer for us, he lives. And he promises us that this suffering we're going through right now is momentary. It will not last. You are here today suffering to some degree. And I promise you that through Jesus in heaven, you won't suffer much longer. You will not suffer much longer if you hope in Christ. This also shows us that these horrible, tragic events where we suffer can be unexpected and inexplainable. You must know that at any moment, the table can turn. Car wrecks, people don't wake up, attacks, tornadoes, lightnings, we see it here, we have experienced in our lives. One day, everything can be going great. And the very next, it can be totally different. The book of Job is teaching us this. And so while we see this suffering, we get to do what we do so well as Christians. We get to watch and observe what's Job gonna do about it. We get to watch and observe, how's he gonna handle this? What's he going to do? How's he gonna respond? Because that's exactly the way we are. I told a Sunday school class this morning, that's really the way we are. We are watching everybody to see how they're gonna handle that. How are they gonna handle having a newborn, man? That's about to rock their world, you know? How are they gonna handle a new job? How are they gonna handle a new house and a house payment? Buddy, that's gonna be a big undertaking. How are they gonna handle all this stuff that they're going through? We're watching, right? And we get to watch Job, Wow. Verse 20 shows us Job's response to tragedy. 
Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. What a verse. What a response. Job has all the signs here that we learn in the Old Testament of what sufferers should look like. The Old Testament teaches there are ways to mourn and signs that you do to let people know that you're going through grief and mourning. We don't really have that in our culture. You know, sometimes it's the tendency that you wear black to a funeral or something like that, but that, that's about the extent of it. We don't have ways to where you know that, hey, yesterday I just went through something horrible. That's why it's good to remind ourselves you don't know what people are going through, right? We could have walked in here today, been all excited about March Madness, and somebody walked in here today knowing that just yesterday they buried their mom. They didn't watch a single game yesterday. They cried their eyes out over the casket. We gotta make sure that we always know you don't know what they're going through. That's another good reminder for yourself when you're quick to judge. You have no idea, no idea what people are going through. You don't know what they're hurting for, suffering. You don't know what their yesterday looked like. You actually don't know why they're going through all that hardship. Job here does all the things that, that, that he should have done to show that he's suffering. He tore his robe, he shaved his head. Then we see what Job is really like. We see the inside of Job. He fell on the ground and worshiped. Being honest, I think up until this point, we all could have said, like Satan said, you remember a couple sermons ago when I said Satan's a cynic? He doesn't believe any of it. Satan was saying the only reason Job's got it all going on is because Job's got it all going on. He's got everything. Come on, he's rich, he's healthy, he's got everything. He's got a big family. They get to party all the time. I mean, things are great in Job's life. No wonder he says that he's a Christian. No wonder he says that he believes in God. But the devil knew that's not how Christianity works. I mean, God knew that's not how Christianity works. God knows that he's the one that changed hearts and he's the one that saves. And God knows that he's the one that keeps people close to him. And so God said, that's not true, Satan. I'll prove it to you. Go after him. God literally tells Satan to go after Job. He recommends it. Because God knows that he's the keeping God. And he'll keep you too, no matter what you're going through. He will keep you. He is a keeper. He will not let you get away. He will not let you out of his hand. He will not let your heart stray and run. He is a keeping God. Believe that. Job here responds in a way that I want you to have in your life. He falls on the ground and worships. Before you had read that, what did you think worship was? When the music's really good, like in Waymaker, and they, they built up to it, didn't they? We sang that Spanish part so many times and we're like, come on, I don't know the Spanish part. <laughs> and then when the English hit, bam! And we were all ready to sing, right? And you think, okay, now I'm worshiping. Y'all, that's part of it. That's certainly not the whole of it. Worship is where your heart's at no matter what you're going through. Worship is the worst day of your life when all of your children died where your heart's at. Worship is what you believe and what you think and what you feel and what you hope in and what you trust in. Every moment of your life, that's worship. And at his deepest, darkest, severest moment, 
he got down on his face and cried out to God in worship. Now, it's hard to grieve and mourn, and I know that. And there are lots of different ways to grieve and mourn, and we say that at all the funerals, right? There are lots of ways. Some people want to talk and talk and talk and help each other through it. Some people want to be quiet, just take it all in. Some people want to stay with people. They don't want to be alone. Other people want to be alone, right? There's lots of different ways to grieve, and I recommend any and all of those. But if you want to be, that's how you grieve. But if you want to be comforted, you hope in God. You want to be comforted, you hope in God. This is what Job does. Now, if you want to grieve, there's lots of different things that you can do. If you want to be comforted, you hope in God. There is no comfort, lasting comfort, apart from God. We see this with Job. He fell on the ground and worshiped. Now, there's a lot that we don't know here, but it doesn't tell us that he ran off and said, I don't want to talk to anybody. It doesn't tell us that he went and punched the wall or that he went outside and screamed. It does tell us that he turned to God. I want to encourage you very simply to get on the ground a little more often. I want to encourage you that when your family's having a hard time, that you find that posture. When you're stressed out of your mind, when the anxiety is getting at you, when the news has absolutely overwhelmed you, Job 120, turn off the TV, put the kids to bed, find a spot to just lay down and worship. God, I love you, and I need you, and I don't have anywhere else to go, and I don't want to go anywhere else. If it ain't you, then it ain't anything. Job did that. It was a horrible day, but where else is he going to turn? My kids have got me into these Marvel series, The Mandalorian, and now The WandaVision, which is way too deep and weird and scary for me. But Vision said to Wanda, what is grief if not love persevering? You may have heard that quote. It's outstanding. We've been saying that very idea at funerals for years. What is grief if not love persevering? If you wanna stop loving, your grief will go away. But when you love deeply, long and hard, when somebody really matters to you, a loved one or God, when you really, really love, it grieves for a long time, your soul does. What is grief if not love persevering? We have Job devastated. He loved his kids. Chapter one has been telling us how much he loved his kids. He served as a priest to his family and offered sacrifices and prayers on a regular basis for his kids. He was an awesome dad. And now they're all gone and everything he has is gone. But he worshiped. He worshiped right there. I want to challenge you to not be so fickle that you only worship when things are good. I want to challenge you to not be the person that is very quick to say, oh, praise the Lord when the bank makes a favor in your error. And praise the Lord when things are going well. God is good. 
when you get a good doctor's report if you're not going to say it when you get a bad one. Praising the Lord and worshiping God means good or bad, up or down, God knows what he's doing with me. He's in charge of my life and he has bigger purposes than mine. And his ways aren't my ways, the Bible says. I want to challenge you that if you're going to worship God, then worship God for being bigger and better and smarter and wiser. Job worshiped while suffering. Now, let's be honest. Maybe you don't know what it means to worship. Worship doesn't mean hands raised necessarily. It can. Worship doesn't mean smiling and looking my best here today. It doesn't mean that. Worship doesn't mean everything's going good and I'm positive and I'm happy and all that. Worship doesn't mean I'm smiling. Worship means my heart is surrendered to God and focused on him in this situation. That's the worship. If you're thinking that Job ran outside and turned on his favorite praise and worship song to get himself in a mood to be able to say glory in the highest, no, that's not what happened. He tore his clothes, he shaved his head, and he laid down right there. And when his friends show up in the next chapter, nobody talked for seven days. They didn't try to spin it into a good mood. They didn't try to say, well, guess what, buddy? I mean, you just had the best kids and now we're gonna remember them. We're just gonna be happy about it and all of that. There's a time and place for that, but that's not what this is right now. There's no mention of that in chapter one. He hates life. He hates the situation. He is miserable. He doesn't want to get up. He is crying his eyes out. It's not fun. It's not good. He's not happy. But his heart is focused on his God. He worships. You worship from the heart, and you can worship while suffering. May we teach that to those around us. May we suffer well. May we hold on. Number one, he worshiped while suffering. But number two, secondly and lastly, he worshiped from a foundation because when you read all the way to verse 20, you think, wow, but then you have to ask, well, where did that come from? How did he do that? He worshiped from a foundation. Job's life was built upon God. It was built upon the truth of God. It was built on the ways of God and the foundation of God, the way the Bible teaches us that we are supposed to build our lives. Life is about God. Life is about the truths of God. We're not to build our lives the way mom and dad taught us to build our lives. We're only to build our lives on the way that mom and dad taught us to build our lives to the degree that they are faithful to the way mom and dad taught us to build our lives on God. That is the truth. And if mom and dad taught you to do something, it isn't in accordance with God, then you need to abandon good old mom and dad's teaching and build your life on God. That's the truth. Every time somebody throws out, well, I wasn't raised that way, doesn't matter if it wasn't an honoring way toward God. Job's life is founded on God and God's truth. Let's observe a couple things. Job knew that he came from God. The first thing out of his mouth is, naked I came from my mother's womb. Job is not upset by all the stuff that he just lost. He's not thinking about that, really. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Job knew that he came from God, and he knew that everything comes from God. Do you know that? Are you able to hold things loosely? 
This is why we should be able to get over very quickly March Madness or get over very quickly the stuff that we have if uh, something breaks or, or, or something breaks down or something like that. Life's not about those things. You remember the story, the parable of the rich person? Luke chapter 12, and Jesus makes the statement, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You are not what you have. You are not what you have. You are who you are before God, and that's it. You are not who we think you are. You are who you are before God. We can trick each other really well. Life's, man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Job knew he came from God and he knew everything comes from God, but he also knew this. Job, Job knew that he was going back to God and that he wasn't taking anything with him. Naked I came from my mother's womb, verse 21, and naked shall I return. There was no, oh my goodness, I've been working 50 years for all this stuff. Man, I had 7,000 camels. Man, I worked so hard on that, all for nothing. Man, I hate those Chaldeans and Sabaeans. They just ruin everything. And that's how we hear Christians talk. We get so prideful about how successful we've done that if one thing dares gets in the way of it, we're ready to curse anybody or anything as if that's a good thing, as if we have a right to. No, I said it a couple sermons ago. Whose fault is all this? Well, that's a hard question to answer. You wanna say it's Satan's, and in some ways it is, but more than it's Satan's fault, it's also God's. And God's never at fault. God's never at fault. So it's not a fault. God's working in him. God's bringing about his glory. God is doing something in Job, causing him to have a foundation that is greater than his stuff. Listen, I'm gonna tell you right now, I think Job's in heaven, but Job was not in heaven because of how good he was, how successful he was, how fine he was in his dealings, how good he was at stewarding all his successes. Job is not in heaven for any of that worldly stuff. Job is in heaven because when everything got stripped away, you saw really who he was on his face worshiping. Job knew where he came from and where he was going. And Job knew that all the stuff in between didn't matter. Think about that. Commentator Anderson says, Job sees only the hand of God in these events. It never occurs to him to curse the desert brigands, to curse the frontier guards, to curse his own stupid servants, now lying dead for their watchlessness. All secondary causes vanish. It was the Lord who gave, and it was the Lord who removed. And so, in the Lord alone, must the explanation of these strange happenings be sought. What are you doing, God? I don't like this life. God, this isn't how I wanted my life to go. I wanted to be happy, and I wanted to get all these things, and I deserve for it to be better, God. I see all these other people that have all this goodness going on. They got more stuff, and they got better stuff, and they got happier kids. They got more kids, right? This is not where I envision my life being for me right now. And all of a sudden, we start thinking about it without God's good sovereignty in our lives. And Job teaches us that's not what we do. Lord gives, or naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave, verse 21, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. Job knows something about God that you better know about God. He is enough. He is enough for you. 
He is enough to satisfy your heart. He is enough to settle you down. He is enough to keep you. Job knows enough about life that I, Job knows something about life that I hope you know as well, that this life is not the answer. This life should not be the satisfaction and the happiness. This life does not bring the peace and the joy God does. And let me remind you that Job doesn't even know about Satan. You and I live in light of this book and in light of the New Testament. Job doesn't even know that Satan's a factor here. Job doesn't know that God is working with Satan in order to prove Satan wrong. Job doesn't even know any of that. It becomes the fascinating piece to the rest of the book. Look back with me at chapter one, verse nine. Here's what Satan says when he's talking to God. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Look at this. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Let me ask you something. Was Satan right? No, he was not. Y'all, Satan is working and he is strong, but he's not as right and true and good or strong as God. He had a plan, but he was wrong. He was so cynical, he doesn't believe in the saving, keeping work of God that Satan told God, if you let me go at him, he will curse you. He's a fake. It's all for show. God says, go ahead. And Satan does. He brings horrific tragedy that day. He kills all 10 of his kids and he worships God. God is on display here, right? God's saving power, right? Redemption and forgiveness and work is on display here. God's gonna watch this. I'm the savior. Salvation belongs to the God and I'm about to show the world. You can kill all of his kids and he will worship you. And Satan says, yeah, right. God says, go for it. And at the end of the day, Job worships. Hallelujah. God is worthy. And Job knows it. Satan looks like a fool here. He looks wrong. He looks wicked. He looks self-serving. He looks selfish, Satan does. Because he doesn't understand how good God is and the treasure that eternal life is. God's people will gladly suffer through this momentary life, regardless if it's 20 years, 50 years, 100 years. We understand that eternity is so much longer than that. We are willing to suffer now. We are willing to go through hardship now. We are, because we have a foundation just like Job. We know our God who made us and loves us and saves us and keeps us. We know him. We will worship through the blessing or the curse. We will worship when he gives, and we will worship when he takes away. I wanna show you something really cool. In verse 11, Satan says, he will curse you. Does everybody see that? That's the big thing. Verse 11, he will curse you to your face. You see that? Well, if you, if you, if in, in some of your Bibles, there's a little footnote down there on, on, on that. And check this out. In verse 21, when Job worships and says, blessed be the name of the Lord, that's the same word. Blessed and cursed is the same word. Context helps us see what it's meaning and the difference. What Satan was saying 
is that he will, yeah, he'll bless you. And meaning it, it's called a euphemism. This is euphemistic use. He, Satan is saying that he, will, he won't bless you. He'll curse you. Like, yeah, yeah, he'll bless you. And he's saying he will curse you. And what he actually does is the very word, but in worship, he blesses God. The very thing Satan says that he would do is the very thing that he didn't do. The very thing that Satan said that he wouldn't do is the very thing that he did do. He blessed God. Satan was so wrong and God was so right. Job disproved what Satan said. John MacArthur says that when we're suffering, Hasty words against God in the midst of grief are foolish and wicked. What we see here with Job is none of that. Job could have cursed the wind and clenched his fist. Job could have reacted in so many ways that we have at times. Because I'll be honest, us church people are really nice when things are going well. And unfortunately, we can be really not nice when we get put in a bad spot. And that's wrong. Job is teaching us to worship from a foundation. Job knew God. Job knew his truth. Job was worshiping. And we see this with his reaction we read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, that Paul is suffering. He's got a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times for God to remove it, and God is not going to remove it. And so Paul says that God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. For when you are weak, then I am strong. And it is through you being weak that I get to show you how strong I am. It is to the glory of God when God's people aren't at their best so that God can be at his best. It is to the glory of God when, <clears throat> when God's people are in such a tough position and they don't let go. They hope in him. We see this with Job. The final verse, verse 22 says, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I think it actually means that he did not sin by charging God with wrong. Basically the same idea, but a little bit more clear that way. Job did not say, this is God's fault. Job said, I need to trust God through this. Job believed God. Now, Job didn't understand as much of suffering as we do now because the Bible teaches us that Jesus came and suffered for our suffering. Job wrestles with this for the next like 38 chapters and it's gonna be fascinating to get to. And Job knew about his Redeemer and he famously says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And we're gonna get to that in a few weeks. But you and I get to read this passage in light of Jesus Christ crucified on the cross for us, killed when he should not have been killed, innocent, he never sinned, killed at the hands of lawless men, sacrificing himself in our place so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So that no matter what we're going through, we can say, 
Jesus loves me and he died for me and I will hope in him. When it comes time for you to pass away, may you have all the comfort in the world through Jesus who already died for you. When it comes time for you to suffer, may you have all the comfort in the world that God already suffered for you. And that through faith, you have salvation and eternal life and this suffering will not last much longer. Heaven is truly not that far away. Church, may we know how to suffer and may we learn from Job's example that we can worship while suffering because we worship from the foundation that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Job and for how you're teaching us. And we pray, God, that we would truly have a category for suffering. Oh God, help us to not be shallow and fickle. Help us to not be superficial. God, help us to be rock solid. We may not be that impressive for how great we are, but we are certainly going to depend on how great you are. Father, the story of Job is working in us. Increase our faith. May we be those that worship through suffering. For Jesus' sake, in his name we pray, amen.